0: Welcome to the Church at Rocky Peak's downloadable messages and podcast. Well, good morning, everybody. It was great to worship with the Children's Choir. Wasn't that awesome this morning? Did you notice that little blonde kid in the front? I think we have our next worship leader. You know, the guy was amazing. I was, I was impressed by that. Um, I, yesterday I got back from the men's retreat. I went up there uh, Friday night and was there part of the day Saturday. Let me just say, for those of the men who were able to go, it's just, it's turning out to be an incredible retreat. And so some of the wives are like, did my husband really make it? Yes, all your husbands are there. <laughs> Trust me. They, they made it. They didn't ditch it out. They're not golfing somewhere or anything. But they're up at the men's retreat. It's going really well. Um, today we're going to kick into a message. It's called The Path to Spiritual Vitality. And I want to kick it off by um, sharing something that happened to me. This is back in June, June 6th of this year know what that makes the date six six oh six you know that's going to be a bad day right you know you know so i'm up here working at church waiting to take calls from the antichrist or whoever you know on that day i'm working up here and it just happened to be coming off of a really busy season uh ministry is just going a hundred miles an hour going really fast my wife had a really busy schedule she's finishing her master's degree Um, and we're both going really really quickly. and even just in the family, her grandmother had passed away and there's just so many things that we're, were juggling and she had gone up to visit her, uh, her grandpa uh, to spend the night, da- actually down in San Diego area. And uh, I was up here as a church working on this day and I remember towards, uh, it was getting around five o'clock and I started getting a stomach ache. I'm like, ah, did not feel good. And so I'm like looking all over, there's got to be rollades or something. So I'm grabbing Rolades. I'm popping rollades. I'm like, all right, I'm done. I'm out of here. Uh, so I'm driving home. I get home. I take a shower. And um, when I get home, uh, the this, this stomach pain is getting worse and worse. This is like, this is not a normal stomach ache. I've never had this before. And it's, starting hard, I'm get, it's getting hard to stand up. So I'm like kind of crouched over. I felt like I just aged like 30 years. In moment. I'm like, this is ridiculous. Like, so, of course, I, I go to WebMD. I want to diagnose myself. Uh, I can be a doctor, Sure. So I go to WebMD, I check this thing out, you know, lower right quadrant, abdominal pain, probably, penic- is it appendicitis left? Or- it's right side. This could be. So, um, you know, I didn't want to call my wife and freak her out. So, uh, and plus, she's, you know, down in San Diego. So I drive to the hospital. Uh, it's about only about a mile and a half away. So I go check myself in. And it's an appendicitis. So I go through the tests. I, you know, go to surgery that night. She makes her way back down. Um, go to surgery. And, but I, here's the part of the story I want you to catch. I wake up the next morning. And, uh, after a long night, after a long season, the year just felt like there's so much going on. And I remember waking up and realizing, I just had surgery and I get to be off for a few days. (laughs) Wow. You know what I'm saying? I'm off. I I don't have to do anything. I can lay in this bed. I'm literally off. How many of you have ever experienced that? Like life is so crazy. You're like, I got sick. I'm off. I'm out of this thing right now. I can't do anything. I don't have to do anything. It was, it was one of those things. Now, we live in a culture, we go 100 miles an hour. Um, how many of you would say, yeah, this has been probably a very busy year. It's like just been crazy busy. Okay, a lot of you guys, a lot of us relate to it. And it's, it's common. We, it's kind of our culture. We like to go 100 miles an hour. We will tend to fill our schedule up a lot and, and we move quickly. Um, and can I give you some really good news? Uh, it's going to get a little busier this next month. Do you know what's coming in 11 days? Thanksgiving. Know what that means? Holiday season. Starbucks is already serving their peppermint lattes and eggnog lattes. I know. Uh, it's a good season, but it's going to be crazy busy. So this message is kind of one of those times we can just stop and let's just take a quick breath and then evaluate something. Because here's the challenge. If you're following along in your, in your notes, you'll, you'll notice this. It's a simple life principle. If your schedule's always full, it's going to be very easy to be empty or have an empty spiritual tank. I mean, that's that's really the reality of it. It's hard to grow deeper with God when you're always moving real quickly. Just hard to do that. Um, It's hard because sometimes if you're going to be growing in the Lord, you got to step back from the schedule. You got to pull away and you got to reevaluate. And sometimes that means you have to really think. But when you're tired, do you want to think? Uh-uh. You just want to veg. You want to just relax. And so, There's a challenge, one of the things that we can face, and it's common, it's just, that's why we need messages like this every now and then. Just to say, hey, how are you doing spiritually? How you doing? Um, Do you feel like you've grown more superficial this year? Uh, Do you feel like, as you look at your life, if you say, hey, these are the edges of my life, and they look like they're starting to become frayed. Um, If I'd say my spiritual vitality is a greater now Or is it lesser now than it was earlier this year? How you doing? And this isn't meant to throw guilt on you at all. This is something I think all of us in this room, we just need messages like this. So just come and take a breath and and we're going to look into it. So, you know, part of the thrust of this message is just to say it's okay in life. And not just okay, it's it's really critical. If you're going to have something vibrant going on with you and the Lord, there's got to be seasons where you step back where you pull away, and it's okay just to take a, take a breath and be before the Lord. Get some time of solitude. Now, if you read through the Bible, you're going to notice this is not uncommon at all. In fact, this is really common. We're going to start today by looking at one of the, this is one of the greatest men who ever lived, literally. This, this man, uh, in his life, changed the world, Not and outside of Jesus. like this, this, He's a big guy up here. Um, he wrote... Prolifically, he, was, he, he wrote so many things. You've read it. A lot of you have memorized a lot of what he's written. Uh, he wrote most of the New Testament. That's the giveaway. Who is it? Paul. This guy named Paul. So if you're new to the church, this guy, um, it, when you first hear this man's m- name mentioned, it's not good. Like this guy was evil. He was a villain. As um, you look, as history looks back on this now, um, he was literally trying to exterminate Christians. He dedicated his life to that. He was the villain. And so he, you know, as, a, as you read through and you hear about his story, something happens as he's on one of his death marches to Damascus, the city of Damascus. And as he's marching his way to Damascus, something happens. Maybe for the first time in his life, he's flattened, he's laid out. He encounters the Lord. But it's one of these, it's just a very bizarre time. It's supernatural. God strikes him blind. Probably the first time he's ever had to experience this. He couldn't even lead himself. He needed someone to literally take him step by step and step and lead him to Damascus. Instantly humbled. From the top of his game, boom, taken down. Now this had to be huge for him. First, he met the Lord there. You know, this is his conversion. You know, We don't usually have conversion experiences like this. This is a supernatural thing that happened. And we know, if you know anything about Paul's life, something happens. This guy goes on, he writes book after book after book. We hold on to his writing so much. Um, he's out there starting churches. He was, he was just a huge pillar in the church. But he didn't surface until after Jesus had already died and had risen. The other apostles are still around. They're doing the work, going full tilt. And somewhere, poof, off in this, off in this one place, on the road to Damascus, a new uh, figure is emerging that's going to change the world. Now what's interesting, I, I, I share this background because we hear, yeah, he has this big conversion and the next thing you know, we're reading his letters. He's doing all these things. But what happened to Paul right after he was converted? Do you know what happened? Do you know that God didn't put him into public ministry right away? He was taken aside. The years and years that he spent uh, developing the way he thinks, um, the deep-rooted issues that uh, just damaged his character, had to really be uprooted. And do you know what happened? He was, in a sense, put on the sidelines for a while. And he writes about this. If you have your Bible, turn to the book of Galatians. Turn to the book of Galatians. Chapter 1. Verse 10. Okay, this is what it says. Now, Paul's right. I'm just going to kind of jump into the middle of what he's writing here. He says... Now catch these phrases he uses. You're going to notice something repeated several times. And this gives you an insight into where his mindset's at now. Galatians 1.10. He says, am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. Stop. What did you notice three times in what I just read? There's a huge change of focus for this guy he says winning the approval of men trying to please men what was this guy into? image it was huge You know, he loved to impress people do you understand? Paul was big time uh, in the Jewish community, he was absolutely huge, the ruling class the Sanhedrin of the day when they looked at Paul, they gave him approving nods he was in with the leaders of the day. They loved him. He was their poster child. Paul would be the guy that gets invited to all the parties. He loved to hang out. He loved to be invited. He loved to be esteemed. In fact, if you'd say, you know, you, you, you could notice this guy. The more he would be so diligent and so vigilant against Christians, leading the persecution against them, he would be more esteemed. So, and he'd also try and lead such a devout life he kept keep the laws to the letter. And so it's like a, um, a boy scout. They, they accomplish something. He gets another little badge and he stands a little more upright. So his badge of honor was living this life so he could get the approval of the community and these leaders around him. And his resume is getting beefed up more and more. In the, in, in the eyes then, it looked like he's getting more and more successful. You'd want to be like Paul. He was just going for it. But what you're catching in Galatians 1 is a massive shift in thinking. And he just says this question, you know, am I really here to try and impress men? Or God? It's huge. Now, he had a dramatic conversion. But all these changes probably didn't take place just instantly. He had a dramatic change there, that, which was monumental. But God had to work things out in places of solitude to develop his character like this. You know, in verse 11, he goes on. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel that I preach isn't something that man made up. I didn't receive it from any man. And he's even referring to the other apostles that are around during the day. Nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you've heard of my previous way of life in Judaism. How intensely I persecuted the church of God. I tried to destroy it. See how, see how dedicated he was to this? Verse 14. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of the Jews my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Do you see that? That drove him. He esteemed that. And that made him on the in crowd. Verse 15. Now here's the big thing in his life. But when God. Isn't that a great phrase? But when God came. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his Son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I didn't consult any man. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. Now, this is interesting, but I went immediately to Arabia and later returned to Damascus. Let me tell you why that's interesting. Um, For Paul, he has this dramatic conversion. Um, God's obviously setting him apart for a mighty, mighty work. Even in Paul, just the way he thought, he was so used to thinking like this. Wouldn't you imagine that his first reaction, I'm going to go with the other leaders. I'm out of this crowd. I'm going to those leaders. I'm going to go to the apostles. I'm going to hang out with them. I'm going to find out what it takes to be on the top with them. I'm going to start going for it. But he doesn't do it. There's something so unique about his experience. In fact, he wasn't mentored by the other apostles. He was mentored by the Lord Jesus Christ himself in a very unique way. He received special revelation. It's just miraculous stuff. God was personally investing in him because he, I mean, he's going to be the writer of a huge chunk of the Bible. But even catching the fact that he didn't try and go hang out with them, consult with them, be with them in his own flesh, like, I mean, that's his first reaction. The guy grew up like this. But he pulls away and his growth came in times of solitude. Now, he went to this place called Arabia. Know, know it's there? Yeah, the desert. It's the Arabian desert. What's in the desert? Yeah, nothing. Uh, there's Bedouins, you know, desert dwellers. They move around. And some people speculate, well, what'd Paul do? Maybe he's going to go preach to the Bedouins. Uh, probably, like, he doesn't even mention this. Probably not. Well, maybe he had to go protect his life from the Jewish community. Well, that's possible. You know, they may have been after him now. But there's a real clear sense that the way he talks about things he learned... And I don't have time to get into it. But there's these phrases where it's such clear experiences with Jesus Christ that he refers back to it. So it seems like this, this period. Do you know how long this lasted? Three years. Hanging out in the desert for three years. Over 1,000 days to be mentored by the Lord Jesus Christ. Seems like... Like Jesus wanted to mentor the disciples for three years. It's like he took Paul for three years himself. Walked with him. It's just fascinating stuff. Look at verse 18. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him for 15 years, or 15 days. So, you know, it's just one of those things. God did his work, then he goes and hangs out. Um, Do you ever see that movie, The Castaway, uh, Tom Hanks? You know, it kind of reminds me of this movie. If you haven't seen, how many of you have seen that one? Okay, Tom Hanks, yeah, so I don't need, we don't need to go into detail, but on FedEx, you know, the guy's moving 100 miles an hour, flying all over the world, important, time is critical, goes down in a major storm, crashes, lone survivor, tiny, uninhabited island, and he's got to live there. Um, it's torturous to watch this movie. Like, wasn't, didn't you feel that? Like, I don't want to watch this movie again. It was, like, painful to watch this thing. He even developed, what's that little, what do you call that, ball yeah, Wilson, Yeah, see, Wilson. He had to make a friend. He didn't have a friend. He had to make a friend of a, a ball. And he called him Wilson. He talked to Wilson all the time. He got bonded to Wilson. It was a tragic moment when Wilson floated away. It was hard. Uh, but you watch this thing. Now, what Tom Hanks goes through, is you see him, you know, there's a, something that goes on to him that's so deep and profound that um, over that time, the changes in him are, are birthing from deep emotional bouts that he had with himself and some so deep he couldn't even... Can't even really put it into words, and you know, back at home they have a funeral service for him. In, in their eyes, he's dead. They assumed that. You know, he gets rescued, goes back, and the world just seems different. It's changed. But what's more profound than those changes is he has changed. He's more thoughtful. Um, he's deeper. Every he values things so differently this is kind of what you get from Paul running full steam this way and a thousand days later something remarkable has changed he's learned what it meant to pray he's learned what it meant just to be before the Lord to search out his priorities to consider what this new calling in life is to ponder the theology that he would write about the power of the resurrection of Christ that can overcome sin. Huge, huge thoughts. And that's kind of where, where he went. So his desire for power, for prominence, got weaned away in the desert. Um, the, the achievements that he held up so high, um, they didn't mean much anymore. In fact, if you read in the book of Philippians, he says some, you, you get glimpses of, of this. He says, what is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider all those things rubbish. That I may gain Christ. That's different. Do you see that? It is so deep and profound. But it only came. He had to pull away sometimes. And God, this, was a, this is a God-ordained one for several years. But there's something to be said. You know, some of life's... Here's a big takeaway. It's in your notes too. Some of life's most profound lessons... Can only be learned in solitude. Some of life's most profound lessons can only be learned in solitude. Now, why do we spend time alone? You know, uh, what's this all about? Let me give you a couple things from the Bible that we see. So if you're following along in your notes, you can catch this here. Number one, here's one. If you spend time alone, you will be doing what great leaders did. You're going to be doing what other great leaders did. They modeled this. Uh, here's a couple. Can you, how many of you right now can already start? If you've been around church at all, can you think in your mind? How many of you have ideas of leaders who were kind of pulled out of it for a while or spent time alone? Thinking of that? Okay, if not, it's okay. It's early. I understand. That's why I'm here. I will walk you through this. Number one, let's give you one. Here's David. Think of David. You remember he gets called, he's going to be anointed king. He's a teenager. But he had to wait decades. To take that. Now, he, and a lot of that time, he's running as a fugitive. Like, someone's always after this guy. It's like just miserable existence. And it's depressing. So he's always running, you know, watching his back. It was a miserable time. But he's always, he had to spend a lot of time before the Lord. And what did he do? Man, he, he always, he played. He wrote psalms. He wrote songs. He learned to meet with God. You look at David. He learned how to trust God in the dark. In the darkest times of life, he knew he could lean on God. But that came from those powerful times of solitude. You know, if you ever read through, you could write this down. Psalm 40. Fascinating psalm. He he tells you three benefits of just waiting on God. Being alone like that. It says it lifted him out of depression. It steadied his life. Got him on a straight path. It even says it put a new song in my heart. You know what? one of the titles that God gave David, the man after God's own heart. So a man who's after God's own heart specifically took times to be alone. Sometimes he was forced and had to be alone. But you see, this guy learned what it meant to pull away from everything. And if he's going to be a leader, a leader of a nation, he had to have a place to get perspective. He had to have a place to, to examine his priorities, consider his relationship with God, and he pulled away. And he modeled it. So his spiritual strength often came through spiritual retreats where God could meet him. There's Joseph. Now he's another great leader. You know, Joseph, do you you realize this guy was put in charge of Egypt? Pharaoh said, I want you. You have my signet ring. No one will even lift a hand in Egypt without your say-so. But his life didn't start out like that, did it? No way. He got betrayed by his brothers. And he had years in prison. He, just miserable stuff that happened to this guy as you look through it. But what happened to this guy's character? He didn't get more bitter. He became more tender and righteous. And it's easy. You know, when life gives you a blow, if you don't, t- you know, there's a difference in solitude. You can just spend time alone. That's great. But that's not going to be the answer. It's a directed solitude. A solitude where you take it before the Lord. And this is what Joseph modeled he went before the Lord. He walked with God. And because he walked with God, something changed within him so that when he can even see his brothers who betrayed him in the future, his very character shines in that moment where he doesn't retaliate. That's a changed man. Joseph spent directed times apart, too. Huge leader. You think he was busy? You're not busier than he was. John the Baptist. This is the last one I'll give you. How important is John the Baptist? Do you know how Jesus described John the Baptist? How he described this man? He said there was no one greater. That's his powerful statement. There's no one greater than John the Baptist. This is, he was the cousin of Jesus. Half-cousin, whatever, I don't know how that works. God, man, I don't know, something like that. But he, he was the forerunner of Christ. And you look at this guy. He preached to crowds. They flocked after him. He was preparing the way. His power never came from being in front of the crowd. His power in his ministry always came because he was away from the crowds. Times before the Lord. Times where he learned, where he he was with God. And you look at his life. Like this guy's kind of a freak. Now we're not told to, you know, you have to go eat crickets or whatever, locusts and honey, whatever. He did weird things out there. Uh, But the bigger piece for him was this. He learned what it means to have an audience of one, which is the Lord, and he knew what his calling in life was. And he walked in it. He knew it so well that when Jesus came on scene and his popularity was taken away pretty quickly, what's his character? I want him to increase and I'll decrease. That's what I'll do. And that's powerful stuff. Do you see, like... Any, anyone, almost anyone that we respect, there's directed times where they get some time before the Lord so he could work things out in them so that they could be the men and women that they're called to be. That's, that's great stuff. So why should we do this? Because other great leaders did. Another reason is you're going to hear from God. You'll hear from God. Now, I, I reflected on this a little bit. In my life... Um, There were some really, there's times that I would say, yeah, there were profound times. Now, I got to, I want to lay a caveat out here. I'm not, this whole message isn't about taking three months off, three years off, go out to Mojave and just chill. Now, (laughs) let's be real here. All I'm saying is, there's got to be times where you intentionally pull away for short periods or sometimes a little more extended, whatever it looks like, but just get away. Now, if you have a personality like mine, that's hard. Uh, Some of you will relate to this. I'm extroverted. Uh, I learned that on my first job. No, you know, my first job was I had to work in a woman's shoe store uh, in the stock room, in the back, with a product I could care less about. It was dark, dingy, and now the worst part, I could have dealt with that, you know, but there's nobody else. just me in the stock room. Like, are you kidding? Like, where's the other employees? There's nobody else work back here? It was like torture for me. So, like, I, real, I was realizing, man, I guess I draw energy from being with people. So, I like that stuff. So... Even with my personality type, others, if you're more introverted and you get more energy and you draw that from being alone, this is so natural. Like, yeah, this makes so much sense. Others are like, what? You know, do what? Slow down? So I get that piece. But I know in my life also that there's really key times when God got my attention and I think it's probably some of the biggest life-changing moments is when I really pulled away to be with the Lord and be before God. I look at it, um, I just even remember back in college, There's this place called McNally Campus up at Biola University. Huge grass field. I used to go up there, and that's where I really first began sitting before the Lord. Spending time with God. Under the expanse of the sky. There weren't even a lot of lights out there. So even the glow of the city. But there's like this little, I I could walk up the hill behind my house. Up, there's all these, it's just massive expanse of grass field. And I learned just, I'd, I'd take my chair and sit before the Lord and start spending some time. And I began thinking about the future. Thinking about my life. What meant the most to me? Sometimes I'd read, sometimes I'd fall asleep, sometimes I'd sit there, whatever it was. But I'd take, I'd, I'd take little pockets and do that. But I began getting a sense I want to do ministry more and more. I want that. Year, year and a half later, I can remember going across the street, La Mirada Park. I took a book by Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He's known as the Prince of Preachers. The guy was big time. Um, so it, when he was around, he'd train preachers all the time. And I read three of his lectures. The call to ministry. The minister's private life. The minister's private prayer. And you know what I realized after reading that? I'm not going into ministry. Uh-uh. I'm scared to death right now. The guy freaked me out. Like, but it was, it was not even that. The Lord was using that to say, do you understand? Don't go until you're really called. And make sure when you go, you know, check your heart in this thing. But that was a key time. Pulled away. And the Lord used that moment. So I remember I wasn't even pursuing ministry. I went, you know, I was, did the police academy. I graduated. I was going to pursue a master's in public administration. I was at Cal State Northridge. But there was, in even those seasons, what I learned in that season, not even pursuing that, I had some of the richest times of the Lord. I was seeking after older men. They were just pouring into me. I loved that season of my life. So much so that when I was offered a position in ministry, it freaked me out and I don't think I wanted it because I was too afraid of losing what I was walking in. Now that was a good season. So even my journey of the times where I had to pull away, God was using that as preparation times for me. I could go on and on with you. But I know I've heard God, but it's times I've had to pull away a little bit. And God had to use that to get my attention, to evaluate life and and communicate. If you have your Bible, turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. This is about Elisha. Elisha heard from God, prophet of God. He spoke on behalf of God. It's powerful stuff. First Kings 19. Verse 11. Okay, here we go. I'm just kind of jumping into the story. I don't don't have time to set this thing up very much. I just want to let you know, he's, he's trying to hear from God. This is where it's going. The Lord said, Go out, stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord's about to pass by. Well, stop. Do you realize what that invitation just is? Hey, by the way, I'm about to pass by. You might want to go out front. What? All right, I'm going. No, he goes. He goes out there. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart, shattered the rocks before the Lord. Okay, this is not a normal day occurrence. Okay, you get this? Something monumental is happening. Rocks are shattering and wind is blowing like crazy. But it says, but the Lord wasn't in the wind. This is the precursor. Like, oh, uh, if that's the precursor, what is coming? Then he says, After the wind there was an earthquake. But the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. How terrifying an earthquake would be, especially after the rocks are already falling apart from wind. That's it's a bad day. Yeah, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord wasn't in the fire. This is a weird this isn't this weird? Like what is this talking about? What's going on? The Lord is just doing something. He's getting his attention. Demonstrating his power. Do you realize God can speak through a lot of things? He can speak powerfully through circumstances. Um, Coming to church, God can speak to you powerfully in times we come together and worship. You hear the word of God. Big times. Um, But here's the next phrase I want you to notice that God can also speak very clearly. Like even with Elisha when he's all alone. The crowds are gone. And this is what he hears. After verse 12, after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord wasn't in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, and he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And he begins to hear from God. Just pause. We don't need to go into what he heard. I just want you to catch the fact that he heard it when he was alone. He probably could still smell the burning embers from that experience. The fire was through there. The smell was fresh. The fallen rocks are still there. The dust probably still up from the earthquake. Who knows? But it's like the Lord used all that to show his might. But when he decided to speak to him, it was very calm and a gentle and quiet moment. Something to be said for that. Said about just getting away and hearing that. And it's key. You know when, you know, most pastors, when, if you're going to preach, you know, it's, I love being up in front and teaching. Like, I draw energy from you. Did you see how close to the edge of the stage I always stand? It's like, I can't get closer. I'm about to fall off all the time. But I love that stuff. But I have to draw my time when I'm alone. I've got to pull away. And so even with my thing, I've learned, I have to hibernate. I go away. Sometimes I have to hide from church. Um, I go, and I go to some Starbucks somewhere, and I'll tuck in a corner and just tuck away and I'll study. But I have to hear from the Lord um and the same will be in your life whatever you're seeking on behalf of your kids your family your life situation your direction but you need to hear from god and scripture seems clear so many times even in the book of habakkuk habakkuk 2 1 he went and stood on this post just to be alone somewhere where he could hear from god and god speaks to him and i could go on with all these examples but great why spend time alone great leaders did it you'll hear from god um third one is you'll get spiritually refreshed or restored Get spiritually refreshed or restored. Um, I'm just going to tell you this. You know, we just read about Elijah. um, And a few verses up from that, you see where he was running for his life. Another, he's freaked out. But you know what he got? He got alone to this place. The first thing the Lord did was refresh him. Restore him. Strengthen this mighty man of God. Because he had nothing left. God refreshed him. When he was alone that's um, common. Do you know, I'd even say, if you read through the book of Psalms, you, you almost feel like, what's going on? Because a lot of times when you'd read David, and he'd write at the depths of his pain, and he's writing these, these amazing Psalms, and it starts out, you know, why am I alive? Uh, you know, misery, <laughs> torture, take care of my enemies, I'm being pursued, this, that. Um, but by the end of the Psalm, what's he doing? But I thank you, Lord. I praise you, God. Like there's something that changes in that. There's something restorative about being before the Lord. About giving him some space to do that. And that's not uncommon. You know Billy Graham? One of the most life-changing events for Billy Graham. Occurred in 1949. um, In the San Bernardino Mountains. He was speaking at a youth camp. There's a guy by the name of Chuck Templeton. Who was a famous evangelist before Billy Graham. Nobody knew Billy Graham. But they'd know this other guy's name. Um. And Billy knew Chuck, and Chuck used to tell him. He, Chuck began questioning his own faith, questioning the Bible, questioning these huge things, and uh, and he kept feeding all this to Billy Graham. Now Billy Graham's, you know, he's, you know, he knew enough. He knew enough reasons why he should stand on it. So it's a reasonable faith to believe the word of God. But he couldn't answer all of Chuck's questions. things he was, things were spinning in his mind, um, and so you get this place where where Billy Graham's kind of at a he's. He feels like he's at a crossroads. He's at a divide. He's doubting his faith at times. He's wondering what is going on. How many sense of power? I, like, how can I preach with any authority if I don't even believe this stuff? And he's up at this youth camp speaking, and something remarkable happens. He gets restored in one night when he pulled away to be alone with God. This is how he writes of the experience. He says, "I went back alone to the cottage and read my Bible for a while, and then I decided to take a walk in the forest." There the Lord brought to mind phrases such as the word of the Lord came. Thus saith the Lord. I remember that they were used more than 2000 times in the Bible. I remembered how Jesus quoted from the Old Testament constantly. So I went back and I got my Bible and I went out into the moonlight. I got to a stump and I put the Bible on the stump and I knelt down. And I said, "Oh God, I cannot prove certain things. I can't even answer some of the questions Chuck is raising." And some of the other people are writing, but I accept this book by faith as the word of God. And something changed that night for him. The Lord honored that. The Lord met him that night. You know what's fascinating when you watch Billy Graham, even to this day, you know, he, he's been such a faithful guy. No matter, he gets interviewed, all these things. There's something unwavering about him. Something so matter of fact. Something very genuine and real. That's why he gets the audience of presidents the audience of the nation, the world. Because something deep and remarkable happened in him and he was restored in one night going before the Lord. Do you know it was after that night, um, not long after that, he did his first L.A. Crusade. And people came to Christ and then public notoriety. People knew Billy Graham. And that was just the beginning. But God did a work in him so deep and profound that when that came, he was ready for that. And when he was going to get a lot more attack and challenge, when he's more, you know, more known, there's something so deep and real within him that prepared him for that time. Because he pulled away. He was before the Lord. Isn't that encouraging stuff? It's convicting stuff too, isn't it? Like, oh, my gosh. Okay, get me out of here. I'll go spend some time with the Lord today. All right. Um, what do you do to spend time with the Lord? Let me just give you a couple quick things before we close. Um, if you want to experience spiritual vitality, this is so simple. I'm just going to give you a couple sentences that Jesus gave because we're not going to make it more complicated than he made it. Now, the first thing you do when you go to the Lord, you turn to Jesus. You turn to Jesus Christ. Now, I say that because you can pull away and all this kind of stuff. But there should be something intentional about the fact that even if you're going to sit in quiet, even if you're not praying, even if you're not doing something very intentional, that you're saying, Lord, this is your time. And I will be open to whatever you have. If you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 11 and look at what he said. This is the words of Jesus Christ. Matthew 11, verse 28. And he says it like this. Look at the first three words of Jesus right here. Come to me. Everybody say that. Come to me. That's why I said turn to Jesus. It's his invitation. Now look who he's telling to come in this section. You know, a lot of people came to Jesus for a lot of different reasons. Healing, forgiveness. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Everybody in this room who raised their hand earlier, your life has been busy and crazy. This is for you. And I will give you rest. Do you know that in verse 29, he tells you what kind of rest he's going to give you? He says, this isn't just regular rest. This isn't a little snooze, a little nap. He describes it in such a deeper. He says, this is rest for your souls. Soul rest. That's amazing. You know, you, is your mind overloaded and you need to take a break? Are you worried? The tension? Is it guilt? Just anxiety? Um, bitterness? Whatever. There's soul rest to be found when you turn to Jesus. Now, what does it mean to turn to Jesus? He uses a very interesting phrase. Do you see, notice that, take my yoke upon you. You, you've heard teaching on this before. You understand that this is a yoke. was just It was this long beam. It would attach two animals or like oxen together. Now when you put a yoke upon two animals, what's different than harnessing one animal? Well, the, lights, the load is lighter, right? The burden that the one animal would carry is now cut right in half. It's a shared burden. It's a partnership. That animal used to walk alone. Now he's got a buddy. He has a partner. So the idea of Jesus, and they caught this. When he says, Come kind of to me, all of you who are weary, you're burdened. I will give you rest, rest for your souls. Take my yoke upon you. And they understood, oh, wow. Because we hear it like, take my yoke. I don't want another thing. I'm already stressed out. No, no, no. That's not what he's saying. I'm not adding to your plate, I'm putting your life in perspective. Uh, Take my yoke upon you. And um, he says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. The literal rendering, the literal literal word for the word light means perfectly fitted. That means what he'll give you for your life, your circumstances, will be perfectly fitted. Don't stress out. You think it's too much? No, it's not. Relax. It's perfectly fitted. But it's only perfectly fitted if you walk with me, if you take my yoke upon you, if you... intentionally say Lord I'm walking with you this is a partnership and more than that I'm giving up control because when you're yoked together you can't run one way and him go the other way are you ready to relinquish control when you turn to Jesus Christ that's a huge thing with this whole um, passage because you can't do one thing and him do the other Um, the yoke also sets direction In our life, sometimes we run too fast. We put too much burden on ourselves to accomplish too much too soon. Or sometimes we just drag our feet, right? Let's be real. We'll do one or the other. But when you're yoked to Christ, when you intentionally step back from life and say, help me evaluate where I'm at, he'll let you know when you need to speed up or slow down. He'll speak to you. He'll give you, your mind will start filling up with, man, okay, you don't need to pursue this right now. Oh, wait, you probably should be doing this right now. Get this. Really, is this from you, Lord? Help me understand. You know, I'm going to move this direction. Just make it clear if I'm not. But you're coming saying, Lord, this is you. I'm relinquishing control of what I'd want to do right now, but I need your direction on this thing. Do you know what's fascinating? You know what? You know what's weird in the Bible? Do you notice that Jesus never ran? You ever, it never says, Jesus ran in the Bible. Now, do you know? Now, I'm sure he ran, obviously. He's, you know, he grew up he's a kid and all this, but, but you never have any recording that he just, oh, he ran. There's a deed. Huh. You know, Jesus turns. Wait, hold on. Okay, I gotta go. I'm gonna go take care of this. You know, the world's falling apart. You guys, you understand I'm Jesus. I a to take care of the world. It's falling apart. And he runs and takes care of it. You don't ever get a hint of that. In fact, there's one time uh, that uh, a friend of his is dying. And they give him the news. They're like, he's dying. He is, you've got to come right now. He's like, okay. Okay, I'll go. And he begins going. He saunters, I guess. He had to go through he goes he had to go three miles know how long it took three days like what are you doing a mile a day are you kidding he he is dying what are you why are you sitting can you well, i know you're the lord but come on like walk i mean go there instant do your thing whatever you have to do like get there please help him he's dying but he gets there three days later and what happened he's dead but what's the lord do He did something greater than healing him. He raises him from the dead. You know, even though it looks like the plan just seems so crazy, it's like, it's not crazy. It was perfect because he wanted to do something greater. Now, you only get that perspective in your life if you're yoked to Christ. If you're walking with Christ, you have to turn to Jesus. So pull away. um, Get a little perspective on that. What's the other thing Jesus says in this passage? He uses this phrase, learn from me. So what's our second point on your outline? It's this. It's, it's follow Jesus' example. Follow Jesus' example. What do we learn from Jesus? Well, let me just say, what you learn from him is that he spent time alone often. Do you realize that? He did this. Before he ever chose the 12 disciples, he spent time alone. After the feeding of 5,000, time alone. Healing the leper, time alone. After he heard of his cousin's death, time alone. Uh, It goes on and on. Before the transfiguration, time alone. Before he went to the cross, time alone. If you read through the book of John, you get phrases like this over and over. Uh, He would say things like, I only do what the Father tells me to do. I only go where the Father tells me to go. I only think what the Father tells me to think. Well, how do you think he got all that the time? He was intentional. He modeled something. He became 100% human, even though he's 100% God. Amazing. Theological, huge thing. But he modeled something for us. Just even get alone. That's why if you read Mark 1, 35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place. Why did he have to get up so early? Well, they probably went to bed earlier. But apart from that, they... <laughs> They also like he had to get away from the crowds. This is the time of public ministry. They followed him. He had to find places to get away. Luke 4:42, at daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. Matthew 14:22, this is a night one. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was alone. Just interesting. He pulled away. He got a little bit of perspective. So I want to give you a couple practicals right now. You know, what are some practical suggestions for time alone? Number one, go to a special place. Get a place for you. And I'd say try and find a place nearby. It could even be a special room in the house that doesn't get used a lot or you could kind of tuck yourself away. It could be a backyard. It could be a park that's nearby. But get a place just to pull away. Um, A place that you can get some peace. Now let me just say... um, this is going to be a lot harder for some of you, and depending on your season of life, it's going to be more difficult. If you've got little children running around, do you really get time alone? Yeah, good luck. So I understand it's going to be more challenging, but you're going to have to work with your spouse on this one. There's going to be times you say, can you take over? I need to just go get some space. You've got to look out for those needs for each other. You should initiate that with your spouse. Offer those times. So look out for each other in that thing. But either way, find some spaces where you can do that. We can get alone. I learned this from my wife. She's remarkable at this. That's why she's a woman of depth and character. Like, she, she practices this stuff. And so I'm a better man just watching her example. She's taught me this. Like, uh, like, I go to the beach today. I love this stuff. I used to go to the beach. I wouldn't, I'm like, what do you do? Are we going to go around? What are we going to do? No, just relax. You can just enjoy the Lord. Um, but find some special places. Secondly, be, bring realistic expectations. Realistic expectations. Now, let me just say this. After a message like this, you're hearing amazing things happening. People hearing the Lord. You're going to go spend time with God and your expectations may be off the chart. Like, all right, here I am. Speak. May the mountains shake. Earthquakes. Fire. Come on now. And then and, and nothing. You're like getting frustrated. You're like, what do I do now? Like, it's quiet. You know, uh, what do I do? Um, just relax. You know, a lot of times when you go spend time alone, maybe God wants you just to be alone to decompress. Because you haven't done that for so long. There's something else you learn about the Lord. He doesn't speak on your terms. He speaks on his terms. So if you come and you're like, okay, speak to, me. okay, now I'm listening. He's like, well, hold on. You might not even be ready for the things I'm about to share or I need to share. So you just need some seasons of rest, reflection. It's okay. Just bring realistic expectations. If you're like full ADD, you're like, I can't even imagine sitting in one spot for 10 minutes. Like, help me out. Well, maybe you need to walk. You know. Maybe you should get on a bike and ride. Think. Praise you ride. Praise you jog. Whatever you can. Others of you, can't. I can't think of anything when I jog except breathing. Uh, so I can't do that. So it's going to have to fit your personality style. But find something. I mean, if it's on a surfboard, you go paddle out and just sit out there. Something where there's, you know, and there should be places where, you know, get away for a few minutes here or half hour or an hour here. And there might be times where you get away for a day or so. You know, one of the things we, as pastors, do that, like Mike, Rob, and I, every three or four months, we will pull away um, because we need it ourselves, and we need to come behalf um, of you. We pray for you guys, we pray for the church, we pray for this stuff because we know that we need it. So we have to schedule it. If we don't schedule it, we don't do it. So it's got to be put in there. So I just say, bring realistic expectations. It's not always going to be earth shattering. In fact, mostly it will seem non monumental. And even when an oak tree grows, it's not very monumental to watch that, is it? You know, you're not, you're not even seeing anything happen. But God uses those times. I just want to just throw that out there at you. But when God does speak, you'll know it. We were we just did. I'll tell you this: we just did a staff retreat. Not a retreat. We did. We took like two hours as a staff like last Wednesday, and we just instead of a regular staff meeting, it's like all right, everybody just go and spend time. And the whole church staff did it. and They're all over the property, whatever. Spend some time quiet. You know, it's, you know, no one's at phones, no anything. You call the church. Why don't they answer? Do they work up there? No, we're alone with God, right now. So we're not answering you. So we're alone there. Everyone's out doing their thing. And uh, I remember we all got back together, and we were sitting there. And uh, I think Rob shared. He goes, "Now, did God share anything or do anything for you guys while you're out there?" Uh, and I'm rather thinking, "Well, let me think. Did He do anything this time?" Uh, and you know, Pat Neppley, children's director, she raises her hand. She goes, she's like, teary, I like the Lord met me. And she starts sharing. She reads it. She wrote, like, this amazing poem. Like, uh, half the room's in tears as she's reading this. And uh, then Rob's like, wow, was, thank you so much, like, for sharing this. Like, is anybody else going to share? I'm like, are you kidding? I'm not following that. Like, you know, what did I do? I fell asleep. I don't, I don't know. I, I, I don't have much to offer on this one. But just to share that, because you're going to hear the stories that people have these huge monumental times, but a lot of times it's just not like that. The Lord actually may have you fall asleep because you need it. And maybe when you wake up, it's finally you have a place of rest, and he can even just encourage you. Maybe it'll be a thought of scripture that'll come. Who knows? But just, you know, bring realistic expectations. And the third thing is listen more than you talk. Listen more than you talk. Um, For some reason, we always feel like, yes, there's just a culture that we feel like we always have to talk when we pray. Just be quiet, relax. You don't have to. No? If you had to talk to your spouse or your friend the entire time on a drive across the country, well, that would be an old drive real fast, wouldn't it? It's like you need some time quiet. You need to just relax. Listen to music. Look at the scenery. Just be there. So it's okay to listen and just relax. Um, In your life group homework, you'll notice this week that, that there's something... It'll give you some directed time for the Lord this week. If you've never done that, you need a little direction on this thing, I'm sure that'll help you out a little bit. So I hope that'll be the case. I want to pray for you right now, and we're going to end this this service a little bit differently. If you ever read through the Psalms, there's something called a a selah. It means pause. You heard something that can be life-changing. And so in the Psalms, it'll say selah, pause. Don't keep reading. Reflect. Reflect on what you just heard. And so what I'm going to ask you to do is just pause. Stop. We're going to even just carve just like two, three minutes right here. And I've asked you not to leave. I want you to pause and reflect. We're going to dim the lights. You can even watch the screens. That might even help you as you read some of the stuff that's up there. Or else you can just close your eyes. But I'm going to pray and the lights will dim. And then we'll... uh, and then we'll conclude our service shortly after that. Bow your heads with me. Father, thank you for an, a great time. Thank you for the chance to be in your word. Thank you for the model that you've given us and for the open invitation to come to you. So I ask you, Father, for everybody in this room, that that would be a real experience. You would meet with your church. You'd meet with your people. We'd know what that means. Uh, and no matter what the personality, style, <laughs> uh, you'd meet with us individually, uniquely, powerfully. Even now, as the lights are dimmed, as we watch the screens or just sit quietly, that you would use this moment to even imprint on our hearts what you want for today. Pray in your name. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at RockyPeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at The Peak, thanks for listening.